Squad podcast. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of On The Grid podcast. I am your host, Adran Keita, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Harvey Todd, as we discuss uh, last weekend's Monaco Grand Prix and also have a little bit of news to bring you, especially with Sergio Perez's new contract at Red Bull until 2024. Let's start with that news first, Harvey. Uh, Red Bull have secured Sergio Perez's future for the team until 2024. With this season's performances, I think it's a very, very deserved contract. Yeah, I mean, we were coming into the season, weren't we? We were saying, well, you know, it could be Verstappen to run away with it, it could be Leclerc. Uh, Science, we also threw into the mix, didn't we? Well, Science is nowhere in relation to Sergio Perez, who, if results swing his way next week in Baku, I think we are Baku next week. Uh, if results swing his way, he, I think, could be top of the table. Which is which is incredible. Um, the job he's done fully deserved the win. I'm, I'm sure we'll get well. We will get onto it later on, but he, he fully deserved that win in Monaco. A little bit disappointing to see how it ended in Spain the other week, but you know, ultimately that's the job of the number two driver is to support your teammate who is going to go for the bigger and better things. But I'll tell you what, Sergio Perez last year, we'll we'll talk about Abu Zabi. You know he played a large part in Verstappen's success. Uh, he also got a couple of wins, which won't do him bad at all. He's, he's getting better as the races go on, and it's great to see him tied down for another two years because he's, you know, he's doing a tremendous job. And, you know, maybe there was doubts, maybe this time last year, is it the second seat curse? Not at all. Sergio has done a wonderful, wonderful job, and more. here's to more. And do you think maybe... Like we mentioned, Sergio Perez is, is, is a kind of number two driver. Do you think that Christian Horner will look at the situation currently? Obviously, in the standings, it's only a 15-point gap between the two Red Bull drivers. Do you think that if Sergio continues to soar up the table and, like we say, if results swing his way in Baku and he ends up at the top of the table, do you think that that level playing field will be put into place as, as it is in Ferrari type of stuff? I'm not sure. I, I know you've just said it's a, a level playing field at, at Ferrari, but there's definitely, I think, I think Leclerc getting the preferential treatment as, as I'm sure Max will be in Red Bull. But I think it will be interesting to see if that pendulum does swing over the next couple of races because we've we said it uh, last week. You know, the pendulum swung in for Stappen's favour. Well, you know, if it swings again. Leclerc, the way he's going, he's sort of he his momentum from the start of the season sort of dropped a little bit. And I think, you know, I think it really is Red Bull in both championships now. I think it is theirs to lose the way it's going. Obviously, we've got loads and loads of races left. We've got, you know, six months of the season left. It anything can happen. But um, I think it will be interesting to see, you know, over the next couple of races, say if we reevaluate this on the on the first of July after Silverstone, say. You never know. I wouldn't write it off, but you know what Red Bull are like. They've they've pretty much thrown Ricardo under the bus for the sake of Verstappen. So I, I think it'd be unlikely. Now, moving on to matters of the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, it was obviously a mixed weather Monaco Grand Prix. Bit of dry, bit of rain, bit of everything, to be fair. Bit of, bit of drama, bit of everything. It, it had a lot. Um, but I think we should start off with qualifying. I wasn't watching qualifying per se. Um, I was at the playoff final, uh, the League Two playoff final, which Stags lost. Um, yeah, 
it was a it was a dark day on the Saturday, but on the Sunday it was even dark because Shaw didn't get the win, unfortunately. Um, but we'll talk about the race a bit further along the line. Um, let's talk about Q1, which started brilliantly for Ferrari. Uh, Leclerc and Sainz led this uh, led the Q1 session with George Russell in third, with the bottom five of Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly, Lance Stroll, Nicholas Latifi and Guan Yu Zhou. I think we can start off with Pierre Gasly as the anomaly there. It's really been unexpected to see his decline in qualifying. Obviously, Barcelona knocked out in Q2, Monaco knocked out in Q1. What is happening with Pierre Gasly's qualifying? I can't put a finger on it. Is, is it just poor performances that are hindering him? I'm pretty much going to repeat what I said. Was it last week? Was it the week before I said it? Um, I don't know. I, no one can put the finger on it, really. I, I'm not sure Pierre can himself, but you know, you compare it to his teammates, Sonoda, who I think a lot of people were starting to write off. Even before a wheel was turned this season, we were saying, yeah, Sonoda's probably going to struggle, probably going to get replaced by, say, a Yuri Vips or a Liam Lawson into next season. Well, actually, could it be Pierre? I know it, it's crazy to think having... You know, he's a Grand Prix winner. He's been on the podium a few times. He's, you know, he's done so well in qualifying last year. You know, he's pretty much a regular in the top five. Definitely, he was always in Q3. Whereas this year, he's starting to struggle to get out of Q2. I don't think the Alpha Tari is as strong as it was last year. But even still, you'd expect a driver like Gasly to be near his teammate. I mean, we'll just look at the the Q1 times, you know, he's five tenths off. And at a circuit like Monaco, that's a that's a big chunk of time. And it's, it's not like it's Spa where, oh, it's the longest track on the grid. That maybe be a second somewhere else. But it's, it's a big difference at Monaco. Well, Alex Albon obviously qualified 16th, which is, I want to say, probably one of the better performances for Williams. Um, what have you made, what, what did you make of him, um, in qualifying at Monaco because the race was a bit of a different story, but qualifying was relatively good for Alex. Yeah, like like I've um well we've we've said it pretty much throughout the season, haven't we? Albon's been very, very consistent. He's you know, he's always challenged to get into Q2. Unfortunately it didn't happen this week, but you know, Baku next week he he might well be in there. Um I think if you compare him to his teammate, now we've started to get a little bit of relative um, performance now. Um, I think he's, he's doing a wonderful job, whether that's just Albon being really good, which I'm sure it is, or is it Latifi just being not good at all? Well, we've said it's a common theme on this podcast. We do tell Latifi to go faster, but I, I don't think it's uh, rubbing off in any way, shape or form. But uh, no, Al- Albon's been... Really good. I think it was cruel to. For, I think it was harsh on him not to be on the grid at all last year because I think there's definitely a driver there. He's a very good driver. Could definitely be a race winner had luck been on his side in 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 times. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Albon. It's nice to see him do a, a good job when he's back because, you know, for him the only way is up. I feel. And one final driver to to pinpoint from Q1 was Guan Yu Zhou. Guan Yu Zhou regularly in Q2. Um, knocked out in Q1, 20th place. Do you think that it's maybe just just getting used to the F1 car that didn't suit Guan Yu Zhou in, in Monaco? Because obviously he's had experience driving around Monaco in, in, the, in the junior formulas, but maybe it's just getting used to um, the big Formula 1 cars that, that was his downfall in qualifying last weekend. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, he's over a second off Latifi. Um, I didn't catch too much of Q1, to be fair. I, I didn't catch much of quality at all. Um, but you look at that and think, oh, rookie at the bottom, is he just trying to keep it out of the barriers just to get a, a good grid? Well, just get it on the grid instead of having to start from the pit lane with a, a gear new gearbox because he's crashed it somewhere. Um, you know, comparing to F1 and F2 cars, they're a whole different beast, aren't they, really? Um, F1 have got a lot more horsepower and a lot more... Um, how would you pronounce how would you say it? it's like they're like a bull if you compare like an f2 car f2 cars are, you know they they look a bit of a handful to handle at times but you know they look a lot more tamer than an f1 car as as he found out in the race it, it, it almost went sideways um going into the the novel chicane i think it is moving on to q2 and it was the man, the myth, the legend, Charles Leclerc on top again, um, dipping into the 111s with Sergio Perez closely following him and Carlos Sainz in third. The bottom five consisted of Yuki Tsunoda, Valtteri Bottas, Kevin Magnussen, Daniel Ricciardo and Mick Schumacher. Let's talk about pocket rocket himself, Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, I think probably the best position he could have qualified was 11th. Uh, we've mentioned the Alpha Tauri not being as good as last season. And do you think that 11th probably justified his his position uh, ahead of a Monaco Grand Prix? 100%. I mean, we've, we've said it a bit this season as well, that the Alpines sort of rise to maybe, you'd probably say best midfield, maybe alongside um, McLaren, you'd probably say. Um, I think that's gone completely under the radar, to be honest. Um, I think... Sonoda's done a really good job to, you know, he wasn't too far off Ocon, you know, he was just over a tenth. So, yeah, I, I think he's done a, a really good job this season. Like I've previously mentioned, he's sort of proving everyone wrong a little bit. Um, and, you know, he, he looks really up for it this season. And I think we we, we are coming up to a, a few tracks where we do have some bizarre races. Um, we, we have some surprising results. And if he can keep it, you know, keep can keep all four wheels together, keep it in one piece. You know, we might be looking at a top five for Sonoda, which would be incredible to, to really round off a really good first half of the season. Moving on to Valtteri Bottas. Um, obviously, Q1 wasn't brilliant. He qualified just ahead of Alex Albon in 15th. Um, Q2, 12th. It's not like Valtteri to qualify outside the top 10. But yet again, I feel that it was probably the best that he could record. Um, and I don't think he could have done much better um, with it, with with obviously Sonoda being 11th, Kevin Magnussen 13th, and then Daniel Ricciardo 14th. The blip continues for DR. Um, it's it's hard. Like with Gasly, I think it's hard to pinpoint what is what's happening with Daniel Ricciardo because Norris qualified fifth. He qualified uh, he qualified 14th. What is happening? The, the bit you mentioned, you missed off Norris. Norris qualified fifth with tonsillitis. I don't think it was this weekend. I think he was fully fit he this was, weekend. He was still struggling, especially Saturday. Well, he was still struggling well, a little bit. But even still, you know, he's still. just recovered from it. You know, uh, uh, we'll ignore what I said about Daniel Ricciardo in predictions last week. Um, that was really silly of me. Um, but no, Ricciardo, it's a little bit, would you say worrying? 
maybe the direction that he's going now because it looks like his options are slowly starting to run out. You know, there's already talk of, I mean, we are getting into silly season a little bit, but there's already talk of drivers replacing him. You know, it's it's not a great look when an IndyCar driver is getting talked about to to replace a multiple race winner. It's it's a worrying time for Daniel Ricciardo. And if he's going to keep his seat, he's got to start picking up that pace. And performances as well. Um but Schumacher, Mick Schumacher qualified 15th. And moving on to Q3, Charles Leclerc claimed pole position like I said he would. Um, I think that was nailed on for, for Charles Leclerc. I think his qualifying performances, I think, in Monaco just pinpoint that he is a Mr. Saturday for Monaco. Uh, his race performances aren't fair. Uh, but we'll talk about more about the race a bit later on. Um, obviously, Leclerc in first and Carlos Sainz in second. A Ferrari won two, with Perez in third and Verstappen in fourth. A Red Bull three and four. Harvey, let's talk about Red Bull once again. Was it a bit of a shock that Sergio Perez kind of outqualified Verstappen for what feels like once in once in forever, once in once in a million chances? Um, we obviously saw what happened in the latter stages of qualifying, but. Was it? Did it come as a? Did it come as a shock that Perez was third and Verstappen was fourth? Short answer: Yes, um, but it wasn't by too much at all. Um, I think Perez had a bit of fire in his belly after after Spain, and I think he's he's executed it perfectly. I mean, Verstappen P four, um, you are always worried, um, especially at a track like Monaco when you're in amongst the pack. Um, you know, because anything can happen down into Santa Vos. Um, and then also we see as the rain starts coming. I know we didn't start on a standing start, but, you know, you look at that and think, oh, no, what's going to happen now? Because I think he is due a little bit of bad luck. I think Leclerc's had a bit of bad luck. Perez, obviously, has had his bad luck in recent races. And Science has had his spins. Um, so it, it was worrying, but no. You'd take a you'd take a P four over a P fourteen any day, wouldn't you? Moving on to P five, man, Lando Norris. I think short answer to that, incredible. It's I mean to put it on the third row of a grid ahead of a Mercedes, an Alpine, an Aston Martin. We'll talk about the Aston Martin of Sebastian Vettel because that was a shock as well. And um, but to to obviously be struggling a little bit with tonsillitis. Obviously, he'd recovered fairly well after it um but obviously it was it was back-to-back weekends i think it shows the potential and the the expertise but not that norris has gained in in a short space of time that he has in f1 yeah and i think we'll we'll go back to the alvatari argument is it norris being very quick or is it ricardo being really poor if we look at the relative pace i think you look at that qualifying and you say well i think you'd maybe put McLaren and Mercedes on par, but then you've got Ricardo that's not showing it at all, uh, which is why I've compared them to Alpine um, earlier on. But no, Norris has been really, really good. He just needs. Um, I think he. I think he is due another podium in in, especially in a couple of weekends. He's had a difficult period these past couple of races, but I think it'd be nice to see him on the on the rostrum in the near future. Obviously, P six was Russell's. The usual. 
I don't think we need to we need to mention George Russell there too much because he's consistently inside the top five, top six on on regular occasions this season. And then it uh, then followed a tasty battle of multiple world champions: Fernando Alonso seventh, Lewis Hamilton eighth, and the, I'll probably say the shock of the session: Sebastian Vettel in ninth. Where has that pace come from? I mean, we we've we've talked about Aston Martin not being there, but Sebastian Vettel just proved it that. If you put your mind to it, and if you if you have the expertise that Seb has, you can get inside the top ten with ease. And there's no shortage in laps of around Monaco. I think, you know, I think the older and the wiser you get, the better you do at Monaco. I think once you learn where the naughty corners are, if that makes any sense, you know, the corners with a naughty barrier that wants to lure you in like a magnet. Um, he's won round Monaco before. Um, and obviously, car performance doesn't really make a difference in Monaco, if that makes sense. It's sort of bravest wins, you know, especially as you get round to, to sector three, especially sector one. Um, but no, not taking anything away from him, he's, he's he did really well to to get it into into Q3, and then to you know Pip Ocon, who's also done all right in quality as well. It's it's been really good, and hopefully, please take this into the next races. We want Seb in the top 10 more often. We don't like seeing Seb down down in the dumps. We like seeing happy Seb. The biggest cheerleader for Sebastian Vettel, Harvey Todd, <laughs> rather than flaws. <laughs> um, but obviously Sebastian Vettel came ninth and it was Esteban Ocon that rounded out the top 10 before the race on Sunday. So moving on to the race, which was delayed by about an hour. Uh, it were, I think it was just over an hour that it got delayed by. I think the, the, the first discussion that we should have before we even discuss the race, aren't the wet weather tyres there for a reason? Um, I mean, the race directors are scared of injuries and stuff like that, but these guys are supremely talented, are the best of the best in the business um, for a reason. So why, why do they decide to, to go out come in, go out again, wet weather tyres are there for a reason, right? It's, it's, not, it's not just me, I think, that, that thought the decision of the race directors to, to not start the race on time was ridiculous. I, I don't know why it was, um, why it was delayed. Uh, people say weather, but then there's other people saying that there's a power generator down or something in the area. I don't know whether I believe that, but if, I mean, if, Everything. I mean, I was watching the pictures from Monaco, so I assume it didn't. If it, it didn't affect the race that much, um, then you've obviously got the well, the conditions. Obviously, can the the medical helicopter take off? I don't think it was that windy. Um, I can't recall if there was any thunder in the air, so it, it could have flown. But then again, is it really is it really worth the risk? Can you, just wait an hour um it's a shame we didn't get the, the full the full race because i think it would have been really interesting to see how that panned out uh not a fan of this oh let's finish the race in under three hours um but but no i'm, I'm disappointed we didn't get the full race um but the main thing is that that everyone was was okay and we we got a race in the end yeah, I agree. I don't think I'm a massive fan of, of this of this three-hour rule um, because there's enough daylight to finish the race, so why not finish the race? Uh, there's obviously the support races started earlier. There's nothing else on. 
I think the, the, the only problem you might get then is if, say, we're in um, a Suzuka um, or, or a, a Malaysia later on in the season, if we get an absolute downpour, you know, um, we will be looking at, you know, daylight will will go quite quickly. Um, I mean, obviously, last year we, we were due to have the Australian Grand Prix. September, October time. You know, if you look at them, if we'd have had a downpour, similar situation, you can't really run Albert Park under floodlights because there are no floodlights. Um, I think that's the, the probably the only problem you'll have. Um, but I suppose then that's up to the race organisers to to fit that in in the calendar, if that makes sense. To just, you know, you're not going to hold you're not going to hold the British Grand Prix at two o'clock at Silverstone as the last race of the season on December the twelfth, are you? Because as we know, it will be dark by four o'clock, um, which is why we obviously go to Dublin, Abu Dhabi. We go to Brazil, which is in the summer, southern hemisphere where it's you know quite light for for a while. Yeah, I suppose that that could be the only issue. But I'm I'm just thinking that if the race organisers put on a specific a specific event at this time of the year, um, they've obviously got to consider that there may be maybe some rain etc and whatnot and stuff like that it was like when we used to race at, at malaysia that was like in the middle of monsoon season so like you're you're obviously are going to get a downfall a down downfall a downpour at least one point in the weekend i mean if we we are in a country maybe where daylight draws in a bit sooner just start the race an hour earlier um because i think in 99 percent of cases I think, well, personally, MotoGP starts earlier because F1 starts at two o'clock UK. Um, you know, all you have to do is swap them around or start MotoGP an hour earlier, swap it. Anyway, this isn't MotoGP, but the point sort of stands. It's like, you know, there's there's ways to to, to alter the, the running order or the calendar to, to fit in enough time for, for a race to happen. But with that being said, we obviously... As soon as racing started, um, Stroll binned it, um, Nicholas Latifi binned it, um, and then you, you're just thinking, oh, here we go again. Are they gonna, are they gonna red flag the race? Are they gonna stop the race, etc. Uh, but that wasn't the case. It was, it was able, it was able to continue. They obviously pulled out the safety car, um, and Leclerc led the, led the drivers over the line. But nothing kind of changed. It was. For the, for the next couple of laps, obviously we saw Pierre Gasly pit onto the intermediate tires, which saw him rocket up a up a up a ladder. Um, but nothing changed inside the top ten until the leaders started pitting. And I think when obviously Red Bull came in for their double stack, um, Ferrari's earlier pit stop a, a lap before they tried the the undercut, but the overcut looked far more superior. Leclerc wasn't completely up for it. He, he, science wanted to stay on the on the wet weather tires. They pulled in Leclerc for no reason, I don't think. But the man didn't want a pit stop. But he got pulled in and he dropped down to fourth. So I think in in that point, at that point, I think you've got to you've got to hold your hands up and say that Red Bull played the strategy call absolutely spot on. I don't know if any listeners have, have heard Leclerc's team radio from, from the pit stop. Um, number one, um, if you don't like swearing, don't watch it. Um, 
number two, it, it just seemed like a bit of confusion. Ferrari told him to come in, but then when Leclerc had turned into the pits, they told him to stay out, sort of similar to Lewis Hamilton at Hockenheim a couple of years ago. It was a complete mess. Um, I don't think they thought Sainz was going to come in um, just before him. It was a bit of a mess, and you know that's why they've come away effectively empty-handed. Um, and then, obviously, from that point on, Onwards, um, it was Perez leading the race with Sainz in second, Verstappen third, and Leclerc fourth, and and that's how it stayed. But nothing changed uh, within the top four. Obviously, the Ferrari guys and uh, and Verstappen were closing on Perez, but Perez held on to the race to the, uh, the race lead for, for the entire the entirety of um, the race from there on in. Um, so expert expert win I, I think um from from the point of a pit stop to to the race finishing obviously we saw the timer go down so we didn't actually know what lap it was probably like lap 50 or something um but yeah it was an expert win for Perez I think the best part of the performance from Perez was the fact that he avoided that bird that went across the track I don't know if anyone caught it but there was a bird and he flat spotted his mediums pretty much straight away fair play to the lad you know take some doing that to, to to avoid a bird that was coming in at some speed across the track um i don't know why we're analyzing this but you know it's, it's a talking point from a rather uneventful grand prix but there we go yeah like you said it was relatively uneventful after after the whole intermediate wet weather tire chaos and, and the downpour but that came just before the race started can we talk about the controversial um, pit stop line thing that, that that was like controversial for about 20 minutes, then the race direction just shut Ferrari down and it was just like, that's as probably as exciting as it got for, for Ferrari, was, oh, yeah. we might actually have a win here. Oh no, uh, Verstappen's corrected it onto the white line to keep it out of the wall. To be fair, we spoke about this um, and, I, and I got rather excited when David Croft said it. And, and the replay was shown on, on, on Sky. I got rather excited. I, I knew that nothing was happening. So I don't think we need to speak about it because I, I knew deep down that the race director wasn't going to go, yeah, it's, it's a slam dunk penalty. He was just trying to correct it. But there's nothing, there's nothing else he could have done unless, you, unless, the, unless fans wanted him to bin it in the wall, which most fans probably would. Um, I, I wouldn't have. I mean, it's. I want. I want Clayton Racing. I don't want a driver to bin it in the wall um, because he crossed the white line. But yeah, um, I don't think we need to discuss that in its entirety. I just want to jump in there as well and just say it's a handy thing. It's been sort of weaved this weekend to save any confusion from in, in later weekends. You know, where driver is going to be so scared of correcting it onto the white line to the point where he does crash and cause an accident, which no one wants to see at all. I think it's really good that it's been sort of just like, right, we know that rule now, and hopefully it's consistent now between now and the end of the season. But obviously, if you do cross it deliberately, then by all means, you're having a penalty slapped across your face. Moving on to P5 mind George Russell. Yet again, I don't think we really need to speak about this. It's just consistent driving from George. Um, he's shown it for the for the start of the season that he's the only driver to score top five finishes for, for the entirety of this season so far. So 
fair play to him. He's, he's, he's doing a tremendous job. Lando Norris, same again. We spoke about his qualifying performance. We speak about his race performance as well. P6, the best he could do, especially with with the pack that was behind him. But I think we should touch upon a little bit. Um, Fernando Alonso, P7, <laughs> saving his tyres, parking it, whatever you want to call it. I think that was the best bit of action we had during that race in a very uneventful race the man the man let the leaders just just dip the man let the leaders drive away do their own thing the top six just drove away and he just pretty much parked it let him let him have a 30 40 second gap saved his tires did the job that he needed to do and then just 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 ran his race and finished p7 i think it's a good race for him um especially with um, he didn't. He didn't do his teammate a lot of favors with it, but he scored some valuable points for the team and himself. The funniest part about the Alonso train was Lewis Hamilton moaning um, because apparently he was driving dangerously. Now this be- seems to be becoming a common theme with Lewis Hamilton when someone in front breaks a little bit earlier than him, it's automatically dangerous. Um, and then I'm not sure who his pit engineer was that race. Um, Bono, is it Bono that way? Um, he came on and basically said, No, there was nothing wrong with that. I'm going to now bow down to Bono. Love that. Yeah, I, I'm not, I, I could go on a 20 minute rant about Lewis Hamilton and moaning. So I would, I'll just leave it there and just say thank you, Bono, for saving us throughout that entire race. Yeah, I don't think our Lewis Hamilton fans will enjoy you ranting for 20 minutes about Lewis Hamilton. So I think it's fair to say that we'll steer away from the topic of Lewis Hamilton, who finished P8, and move on to talk about Valtteri Bottas and P9. Um, again, consistent, good race for Valtteri. Um, obviously, if it wasn't for the Ocon penalty, he would have finished in P10. Um, but again, good points for Valtteri. Um, it's it's what you need from from him, especially with Guan Yu Zhou finishing plum last. Uh, it was a hard race for Guan Yu, um, so no complaints there, I think, from his side. But moving on to the final points finisher, and it was Sebastian Vettel that finished B10. Happy Seb, points, one point, one point it was, but happy Seb, thank you. Thank you for finishing in the points. Thank you for delivering us something to be happy about because we don't want sad Seb, we want happy Seb. And I think P10, after qualifying P9, I think it's, it's a fantastic race for Aston Martin and another valuable point in there in that Constructors' Championship battle. Yeah, obviously where you finish um, in a season does depend on your budget for the next season. So it's it's handy to you know, pick up a couple of points here and there because obviously as it looks, um, they are sort of at the bottom. Uh, obviously, Albon's got a couple of points already at this point. Um, so obviously, they're not going to be one of the... They're not going to want to be at the bottom of the pit lane, are they? So obviously, they don't want the smallest budget either because, you know, the, with with a driver like Sebastian Vettel, he'll want the very best. Um, you know, I'm not... There's no ego with Sebastian Vettel, but when you've got a driver like Sebastian Vettel, you've got to satisfy them. Um, and at the moment, obviously at the start of this season, it's been completely the opposite of that. But I think 
obviously Seb missed the first couple of races and I think it's really started to build, especially with Seb Lance, not so much. He's really struggling. I think maybe if you, you get another driver in next season, I think you're, you're looking at a really good pairing, but Seb, I think I think as he's acclimatising to these new cars and I think as the season's going on, I think he's really starting to now, yeah, I think he's definitely going to be in the points a bit more often, um, especially at some of the tracks where he's been successful at in previous years. Running out the finishes was Pierre Gasly who finished P11. I think his charge back on the intermediate tyres was, was fantastic, only narrowly missing out on points. Esteban Ocon, after his five-second penalty, finished in 12th. Daniel Ricciardo, miserable 13th for me. Um, Lance Stroll, 14th. Nicholas Latifi, 15th. Guan Yu Zhou in 16th. He didn't actually finish plum last. He finished 16th. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda finished plum last. We talked about his fantastic qualifying. But the race didn't really pan out that way for Yuki. So that was really unfortunate. Um, the retirements from the race, Mick Schumacher, Kevin Magnussen and Alex Albon. But as it stands... Red Bull do have the championship lead in both championships, the constructors and the drivers. Max Verstappen on 125, Charles Leclerc on 116, Sergio Perez on 110, George Russell on 84 and Carlos Sainz on 83. But that's all we have time for in this episode of On The Grid podcast. Thank you very much for, for your continued support on the podcast episodes, on the Twitter, on Instagram. It's much appreciated. Obviously, thank you for Harvey. Uh, thank you to Harvey for joining me on this episode. We'll be back next week previewing the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and our anchor. Thank you for listening and goodbye.